I, I say this every series, this has been my favorite. Uh, this really has been, I, I love, we've been called this Letters to Leaders, and I have really loved this one because you need to understand that you are a leader. And so no matter where you're at, what stage of life you're in, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a leader. doesn't matter what, where you're at. In fact, let me do this real quick. Those over at the Tuscarawas County Jail Campus, we want to welcome you guys in because you're part of our church family. So come on, church. Welcome them in. Now, now I want to say this. The reason I, I, I did this, I, I want you guys to know that you are leaders where you're at. So men, women, right now, where you're at, uh, it doesn't matter those, whatever the little tagline we had, wherever you are, you are a leader. So start leading where you're at. Amen? So we, we've been doing this, uh, Letters to Leaders, and it's been a, a fantastic series. We're looking at letters that Paul wrote to leaders, churches and leaders in the church. And it's been a, a fun time. Now, the theme verse has been coming from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Paul says this. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's been the... Uh, <laughs> This whole idea of understanding Paul is following Jesus. He's working and he's serving and he's following Jesus. And he says, as I follow him, you follow my example. That's our responsibility is to become examples. In fact, last week we talked about that. He says to Timothy, hey, you now are following my example. Now find people who will follow your example. So that's our responsibility is to be leaders. We're, we're developing ourselves to be leaders in our community. And so we've looked at some really difficult topics. Last week was, a, a, you know, the wounds of a father. This week is probably the heaviest of them. And uh, we're going to look at the last of the book letters that you can find uh, in your Bible from Paul. Uh, it's the book of, or the letter to Philemon. So the letter to Philemon. Now, it wasn't chronologically the last one he wrote, but it, it's the last one that you find. And I saved it to the last one because it is the heaviest of subjects. Because he writes to Philemon... It's one chapter, 335 words in the, uh, in the King James Version, if you want to count words. I mean, it would take you a matter of minutes to read this entire letter. But the letter deals with this topic of forgiveness. Let me, let me show you. What, what, let me give you a little context. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. But here's in Philemon chapter 1, because there's only one chapter. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God when I pray for you Philemon. I always pray for you. Uh, uh, um, I thank God when I pray for you, Philemon. This is, it shows the relationship. This is what the, we talk about connect groups all the time and being connected is because this is Paul saying, hey, we're connected. You and I are, we're on this journey together. We're, we're going after this together. So as I'm praying for you, this is important as leaders, we need to understand, we need to have that relationship value. We need to be connected with them. And so he says, hey, we're, we're going this together. I'm praying for you. I'm thanking God for you because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Saying, hey, you're, you're on this journey. The process is continuing. I'm thanking God for what's happened in your life. And I can't wait to see what God continues to do in your life. Now, he's leading up to something. He says, uh, your love has given me, such, uh, me much joy and comfort, my brother. For your kindness has, has often refreshed the hearts of 
God's people. You, you, you are a refresher. You're an encourager. You are a leader. Now, in the greetings, we find out that Philemon is actually the pastor of the church in, uh, in Colossae, so the book of Colossians. So he's writing to them. He's saying, I, you guys, are, uh, but he writes a separate letter. We'll talk about this in a little bit more detail in just a minute. He writes a separate letter to Philemon. And he says, you're, you're encouraging them. You're doing all that. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand that in the, command it in the, demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. Now, let me, let me, uh, let's just talk, let's just talk truth here for a minute. This is those, one of those comments that Paul says, I have the ability to wield my authority over you. I, I can, I can do this. I can say it's because of my position and I can come to you and say, do it because I said so. And almost every denomination and every church and every religion gets to a place eventually where it becomes a point where the pastor said it, therefore it is done. You don't question it. The, 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 the priest said so. The pope said so. The, whatever, you can get in anything. He says, you can use that authority. I, can, I have the, the authoritative position, but that's not how I'm coming to you. And as leaders, we need to understand that position does not yield influence. You can make people do, you can intimidate people with your position, but your position is not as powerful as your influence. And so he says, but I want to come to you in a different way. He says, but because of your love, I prefer to simply ask. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. He is in prison in Ephesus writing to the church and telling them, hey, I'm I'm cheering you guys on. He says, "Uh, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. Here's the, the ask. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Now, so, so there's a couple uh, individuals we're introduced to in this letter that Paul was writing. So he, he says, hey, I, Philemon. So, of course, the first one we know is Paul. We've talked a lot about Paul in this series. And so I hope you understand who he is. He is, he is a dynamic, charismatic individual, but has a love for people. Then there's Philemon. Philemon is the pastor of this church. He is a, uh, a Gentile. We know that. He's a, uh, th- we don't know a whole lot about him other than he's the pastor of the church there. He is a, uh, a Gentile, and he is a wealthy individual. We know this because he's a slave owner. So that means he has pos- the pos- ability to own and, uh, or give debt to people. So, so we know this. He's wealthy. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, devout encourager. Then we're introduced to this guy named Onesimus. Now we know even less about Onesimus. The only thing we know about Onesimus is that he is a slave that ran away. He's, he, so he was in, under a position of authority, uh, under a authoritative figure, and he ran away, but he had become converted uh, in prison. So in, in jail, Paul in, is introduced to Onesimus somehow. It's a good chance that Onesimus was arrested. And that he's now in prison with Paul. So Paul meets him there, converts him there. And now Paul is sending him back to Philemon, his, his owner. Now, when we talk about slaves, we immediately get an idea of it's a race thing. That's, that's our mindset. Is it's, he was a slave because of race. And, and this context and this society, slavery was not, it was a normal thing, but it wasn't what we understand it as being a, a lifelong thing or a race thing. 
In this situation, most slaves in the Roman Empire were not lifelong slaves. They were slaves to the age of 30 at the most. And then they would become freedmen. Now, the other thing that you need to know is that they would also, many times, would become slaves by choice. So they would say, I want to get an education. So I'm in this uh, social economic level, and I can't get an education here, but if I get to this social economic level, I can get an education. So I will get, put myself, I'll sell myself to an individual so that I can get an education and move up in, in my social economic level. This sounds a little bit familiar. So basically, they would say, hey, I want an education, so I'll sell myself to Sally May, and I'll be a slave to him, her, for 20 years. Sound familiar? See, it's, it's, <laughs> this is what it was. This is exactly who we, we do it today. We, we, we just don't call it slavery. We call it debt. It's the same thing. In fact, the, the, uh, the proverb says that don't, be a, a, don't allow the debtor to become a master, your master. Don't let money become your master. So this is just the same situation. So we don't know exactly what, how Onesimus becomes the slave of Philemon, but we know Philemon is his slave owner. And Philemon, or, uh, Onesimus ran away from Philemon before he paid his debt off. And if he ran away, most likely he stole from Philemon to get away and to be able to, to make it to uh, where Paul was at. So, now, here, here's the hard part. When you are as a, as a leader and you have someone that you are investing into or you have someone that's under you and they intentionally harm you, they do harm to you and they cause you to, it's things to happen against you, how do you continue to lead? And this is what Paul is writing about, forgiveness. Now, he never uses the word forgive. He doesn't ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He, lays, he doesn't say those words, you need to forgive him. But he uses this topic, and, and it's such a powerful thing. And as soon as I even began this message and said, hey, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, some of you felt this weight. You felt like this pressure on you because you have things in your life that you haven't forgiven. You have people in your life that you're struggling to forgive. And so you, you, you immediately, you're like, oh, I don't... It, it, and the, here's the thing. The forgiveness is such a powerful topic because it is the core, it is the heart of the gospel. It is, it is what Jesus Christ came to do, is to come to give us forgiveness. Without Jesus Christ, we have no access to forgiveness. If we have no access to forgiveness, we cannot repent. If we cannot repent, we cannot find salvation. So Jesus gives us this. And in fact, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, they asked, how should we pray? Jesus gives them this, this outline of prayer. And in it, he says, and, and Matt, you can look any of them up, he says, and forgive our debtors as we forgive those who have caused harm to us. So forgive our, we forgive our debtors as you forgive our debts. And if you do so, if you forgive, then God will forgive you. It's a powerful parallel. It's, it's a, it's a, Jesus was wanting them to understand it's a daily reminder that you need forgiveness and that you need to forgive others. Now, this, this comparison, this is a, a pretty extreme comparison, isn't it? Where you have, if I don't forgive, then God won't forgive me. Is that, like, that, that means i got to earn forgiveness. And that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying it comes from the same source. It's, it's a Greek ter, or a Hebrew term called Gezra Shawa. Gezra Shawa, which means it's equal. 
It comes from the same source, meaning that Jesus uses another time. He says, if you, the greatest of commandments is to love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor. They're equal. If you're going to love God, you've got to love your neighbor. And if you're going to love your neighbor, that's how you love God. So they, they come from, so you don't really know how to love God until you learn to love your neighbor. This is the same thing Jesus is teaching them in the, the prayer. He says, if you're going to learn to, you have to be able to forgive because you're receiving forgiveness. Now, this is all cool, Josh. We've heard this message before. And if you've been around church at all, you've heard a message about forgiveness. And you know that you need to forgive. But the problem is, how do we make it practical? And how, how do we boil it down to understand how to be, how, how to forgive? There's a, a Dr. Robert Enright, uh, he, the Time Magazine called him the trailblazer of forgiveness. Now, I, I've read some of his, uh, he has 100 publications on forgiveness. He's uh, from the University of Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think that he's a, a, a follower of Christ. Uh, reading, he doesn't bring up any of that, but he understands the power of forgiveness. And he teaches as a psychologist, how to forgive. And, and, and as he's doing that, he says that the number, the 100% of the time, people who struggle to forgive do so because they don't understand what forgiveness is. They have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. So let, let's go there first. Let's talk about what it is, what forgiveness is not. The first thing that you need to know that forgiveness is not is that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not feeling. You will never feel like forgiving someone. When you get hurt, and if you've really been hurt, like it's one thing. I, okay, let's, 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 let's keep it simple. You're driving along. This is one of my favorite like, illustrations. You're driving along. Someone pulls over, c- cuts you off, and you're like, you jerk. You yeah, all those things that you say in the car and then you get home and act like you don't. We know what you say. Okay. So you're, 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 you're there. They cut you off. There, there isn't a feeling of all, I feel like forgiving them. No, the feeling is, I'm going to get them back. So what do you do? So you what it's like to be cut off. That's the feeling, right? The feeling is I want to get even. I want to show them revenge. I want to show them justice. Now, this is true on the road. It's true in our lives. We do it in our marriages. Like, we get, we get hurt. We get offended. We, we, you know, some, your wife will say something like, man, you really need to look at, how, like, like, maybe there's something that will help you get more hair on your head. I'm not saying this is a true story or anything. I'm just giving you an illustration, okay? And you say, wait, 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 are you serious? And you get offended. So what do you do? You're going to pick out something on them that you're going to get a little jab at, right? Because we go back and forth. And instead of saying, I forgive you for hurting my feelings, I'll go cry in the corner for a minute. Uh, not that that's ever happened. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, have the, you have this tendency to, it's, it's, forgiveness is never a feeling. Forgiveness is also not pretending that you were not hurt. See, that's, that's the, the thing that we, we think in society. Like, I just, I just put a smile on and just keep going. I'm not even going to address the offense. And that's not what forgiveness is. It's not pretending like you were not hurt. It's not pretending like, oh, I didn't really, it, it shouldn't be that big a deal. It's not pretending. When Jesus was, was hurt, when he was angry, he showed the anger. When he was sad, he cried. It's okay 
to show the emotion that comes with being offended, with being hurt, with having that moment where you are, that someone did something to harm you. Pretend, it's, forgiveness isn't pretending, and forgiveness is not condoning what the person did. Forgiveness is not condoning. That's the, that, we see that we think that well, um, if I forgive, it means I just I, that what they did was okay. No, that is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is what, not saying to the business partner who took like, to, who went around your back and took your business and did all those evil things to you in your business doesn't mean that you say that's okay, you can be unethical. It doesn't mean that when, when a spouse has an affair that you condone the affair. No, that's not, what, that's not what forgiveness is. It's not condoning the behavior. It's also forgiveness is not trusting the offender. Forgiveness is not trusting. So we, we think, well, if I forgive them, then I have to let them back into my life. No, forgiveness does not mean you give them access back into your life, especially if they don't admit that they were wrong and if they're not changing their behavior. If you were harmed in a, if you, listen, let's just, let's get the, out there. If you were, if you're in this relationship and you are physically, emotionally abused, you do not have to stick around to be physically and emotionally abused again. That, that, is not, that is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness does not mean I'm going to trust them. If they, if they stole from you, it doesn't mean you give them access and let them carry your purse around. You, do, you put walls up. Forgiveness does not mean you condone the behavior or you pretend it didn't happen or that you can trust them again. And forgiveness is not releasing the person from the responsibility of their actions. See, when someone does harm... And the law says that there's a penalty that goes along with it. Forgiveness does not wipe away that penalty. Forgiveness means that you just don't do it. You, the, this is what Paul is writing. When you write, walk through the, the book of, of Philemon, the letter that he writes to Philemon, he doesn't say, hey, you need to feel like forgiving him. No, he just says that's the right thing to do. He doesn't say, hey, you, you, you need to pretend like he, he didn't run away. No, he, he's like, he ran away and what he did was wrong. And then he doesn't take away the responsibility. He says, hey, if he has debt, he's not capable of paying it, but let me pay it. Let me pay it. Forgiveness is so, so when we understand that what forgiveness is not, then we need to jump, jump into understanding what forgiveness is. And Paul, so remember, Paul is writing these letters. He's in prison. Most, much of his writing is done from, from prison. In this situation, he's writing two letters that are sent together. One is to the church which is called Colossians. The other one is the one to Philemon. And they, they are sent by the same person, the same traveling party, takes these letters, delivers them. One he gives to the church, the other one he gives to the pastor. It's an individual letter. And so as he's writing, the, he's writing them at the same time, he writes one to Philemon, he writes one to the church at, at, uh, at Colossae. And I want you to notice something, the parallels in the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, he says that, hey, let me help you understand something. If you're going to learn how to forgive, he lays out the example of how to forgive. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In two sentences, he lays out what forgiveness is. The first thing that you need to understand is that forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness 
is a process. Make allowance for each other's faults. Not for the one fault. For their faults. Jesus taught that you have to pray this prayer. He gives the outline of prayer. And he says, pray this daily. And he gives them this. Put, make sure you put in there that, that you forgive those that harm you as you ask God to forgive your harm that you do to him. Daily. He gives, hey, remind yourself that as you forgive, as you're getting forgiven, that you need to forgive. This is, see, I understand that on a regular basis, I won't get into details, but on a pretty regular basis, I do things that disappoint God. And yet he continues to forgive me. Yet he still allows me to come into his grace and his mercy. So just as Christ does that for me, I'm to do that for others. Not once. Peter even asked. How many times have we got to do that? Seven times? Nope. Seventy times seven. See, we, we ha- this is a process. And even the, one t- the, even the fault that people do to you, the harm that they do to you, it'll come up again. It'll, be, it'll come up again where you need to forgive them for the same thing over and over again. You, you know how, it, it, see, you'll have a message like this. You'll hear the message. You'll be like, yes, I need to forgive them. I forgive them, and I'm walking away from it. And then you'll run into them. At the grocery store. And as soon as you see them, I talked about this last week, that gut feeling that you have when you see them creeps back in. You can feel your ears begin to burn. And that moment happens, and that's okay. You need to ask for the strength to forgive again. Forgive, and then forgive again. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. Another thing that forgiveness is, Forgiveness will give you peace. Forgiveness will give you peace. In, the, in, the, uh, in Colossians, he says, Make, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. This will give you peace. You, you, you're given that peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness. That's what happens when you hold on to uh, unforgiveness. Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, instead, so all that chaos, get rid of it and replace it with kind, being kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. It's a process. See, here's what we do in, as we, in forgiveness, is that we get, you get stabbed in the back. You get that moment where you feel it and it's hurt. And what we do is instead of, we, we grab hold of the knife and we hold on to it and we're like, no can't believe you did this to me. And they try to pull away. And we're like, no, you hurt me. You're not getting away. And we wonder why our wound will not heal is because we will not let go of the blade that was been stuck into our back. It's, I have a, I have a dog and he's an idiot. Um, he's an idiot because he's two years old, which means he's in dog years 14. So he's a teenager. Okay. And boys, when they're teenagers, are, are idiots. All right? I mean, I, I, of course, not my son. He, yes, my son's an idiot. But I love him. He's a good idiot. But he, he, he does these... He's not in here right now, so I can say this. Uh, but no, but my dog... So he's been running away because he wants to populate the rest of the valley with some more puppies. Okay? And if you don't understand what that means, ask mom after service. So... so <laughs> So he's been running away. So we got him this new shock collar. 
And, and of course, you, what happens when you get a new shock collar? What do you have to do? You have to test it out, right? So can, do I have a volunteer to help me here? Nobody? Pastor Corey, come on up here, man. If no one else is going to do it, you're, you're, you're my volunteer. So, uh, so here's, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put this on you. <laughs> oh, oh, we don't want to... Uh, hold on, hold on. We've got to make this a little bigger. His biceps are, are just... He's been working out and... Um, oh man, let's, okay, so there, there we go. We got it in there. So we have, we have different settings on this. Um, like, it'll, it'll, like if I just want to warn the dog, I can beep it. So there it is. So you guys know it's on. This is legit. Um, it also vibrates. You feel that? Yeah. So, so it, you can feel it. Um, and then you want to have some fun? It has different settings. Let's, let's start off here. I can set it. I'm going to turn it down. Um, let's turn it down to like, uh, let's go 15. You, you ready? It goes to 100. So here's 15. You, you ready? Do you feel it? Do you see? I need you to turn to them because I want you to watch his cheek. Ready? Watch his cheek. He didn't do it. Oh, okay. We're going to have to turn it up. You, you felt it, right? It wasn't bad though, right? So let's, let's turn it up just a tad bit. I mean, that wasn't nearly... How about 50? You want to do 50? Let's do 15 again. <laughs> How about I not tell you what it is? You just look at them and let's see what happens when, when we turn it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we can keep having fun. But he, here's what happens. We get shocked. We get hurt by someone. And then we're like, I cannot believe they hurt us. I'm going to take control of the situation. So we take control of it. And we're like, I'm in control. And then what we do is we keep holding on to the situation. And every time we do this, we get upset because we go revisit the same hurt that we had before. And we keep shocking ourselves. You're not going to do it? But what happens is, and we, we keep going, well, they, they hurt me. And then they, they, they did, and I can't believe they did it when I was 10 years old. And I, they hurt me, and they, we tried to hold on to the control of what it is, and we never let go. But peace comes when you let the offense go, instead of letting it keep shocking you. Thanks, Corey. Let's give him a hand. Instead of revisiting over and over again and keep shocking ourselves over the same story, God says, I want you to release the offense. Let it go. When forgiveness begins is when we say, I no longer hold on to the right to get revenge. I'm going to leave that in God's hands. That's when forgiveness comes, begins, and peace will flow in your heart. There's a piece that's missing, though. I, we, these, are, these are practical things, but forgiveness will never really happen until forgiveness brings God's presence into it. Because forgiveness requires God's presence. Forgiveness requires God's presence. This is why the world struggles with holding on to bitterness and why you re- meet people who have rage in their hearts, and at the drop of a hat, the littlest thing will send them over the edge. And while you'll see silly things, the most ridiculous events, like a baseball game for seven-year-olds, turn into a brawl 
because they haven't let something small go. And as soon as something else offends them, they snap. Because they're holding on to bitterness. They're holding on to the rage. They're holding on to the anger that is in their heart. And until they learn to let it go, and the only way you can learn to let it go is by allowing God's presence into your life. Stephen was there, and Paul saw the example in real life. As he stood there and watched Stephen being stoned. And he was the one who allowed them to to take the stones and to begin to beat him and to cause his death. The first martyr that we see in Christianity in Acts chapter 7 verse 59. Look what Stephen does in the example that he gives Paul. He says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, the presence of God. He fell to his knees and said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. See, without God's presence, you won't be able to forgive. There there isn't a more powerful example today of what forgiveness is than in the book that I uh, I challenge you to read it. And I say challenge you because it'll, it'll rock your world. The book is called As We Forgive. It's a story of the, the reconciliation that came in Rwanda. And I, I don't know if you remember this, what took place. And it was in 1994 that the Rwanda uh, genocide took place. What had happened was there's two tribes in Rwanda. Uh, one had been a ruling tribe that, and, and back in the day had been the kings and in the 1700s, the Tutsini, Tutsini, I don't know, might be pronounced that wrong, but they were the Tutsini tribe, and they, were, they had a little bit more longer noses, and they, they had a, a characteristic physically that separated them from the Hutu. And these two tribes, and something, they, there was a whole backstory to what caused the Hutu to rise up and come against the Tutsini, but what was crazy was that they were, they were neighbors. And it was... It was at this, the story is amazing. You need to read the book. Or there's a documentary after, on the, with the same title that does, deals with the same situation. I, I challenge you to watch it because this was in 1994, not in the dark ages. But they would go, like literally on one day, the, uh, the president was assassinated and everything flipped. The day before, they were friends. The next day, they were going into their friend's home. And killing the husbands. And then it escalated to taking the children. Literally, stories in there, 500,000 people were killed in Rwanda. It was, it, I mean, people, they would take the machetes and flay the skin off of women's arms. And they would cut the babies out of their stomachs to kill them because they were trying to remove the entire tribe. The stories are horrendous. In, in the book... In chapter 7, it tells the story of Chantel. Chantel begins, the, the chapter begins by telling her that she's celebrating her confirmation and she's dancing around in her white dress and there's a party given to her by nam, her neighbor named John. Then the story skips ahead to a few years later when she's having her first child as a, as a young mother. She's in her teens and things have turned. And she discovers that John was part of the raiding party that went and killed her father. Throughout the genocide, she loses her father, her, her husband, her children, all killed in this devastating genocide. After the, after 
things began to get better, they, the, the war ended. They began to rebuild the streets. They rebuilt the hospitals. Then they tried to rebuild society. And in this, the jails were so full. And John had ran away, run away to, uh, to another country and ends up moving back to the same city that Chantel's in. She finds out that she's living there and she turns him into the authorities and he's arrested and put in prison. But the prisons are so full that they decide, the, whole, the country decides that anybody who admits that they were part of the genocide and admits what they've done, we will free them back into society. Chantel finds out that John is back living in her town, just down the street from where she lives, just around the corner from where he killed her father. And then this moment, they begin the process of trying to reconcile. And there's a man named Pascal who, who has a, been going into the prisons and communicating with the, the prisoners and, and telling them that they need to turn their lives to Jesus Christ and accept his forgiveness and hoping that they will go and seek forgiveness from those that they harmed. John asked to meet with Chantel. And at first, she totally refuses. Finally, she relents because only because she wants to know what really happened to her father and what went through John's mind to make him kill his next-door neighbor. They get maybe meet together. And after the meeting, Chantel says, I'll never be able to forgive you. Things begin to soften, and on, on page 122 of the book, I'm going to read from the book directly. She tells Pascal, I'm still not ready to forgive, said Chantel, matter-of-factly. We cannot force you or pressure you to, said Pascal. No, this is still a process. The journey is still on. But I want to commend you for even going to see John. Some other people do, not to people do totally refuse to even see their killer's face. This is the first step. I know, said Chantel. I do feel as if I'm moving closer to it, but, I, but still sometimes I feel helpless, especially when I think about the past. I let it shock me once more. I understand, of course, said Pascal, but I want you to know forgiveness has a source. Forgiveness has a source. You can honestly say to God, I have no strength in me to forgive John, but you, O oh Lord, have the power to forgive. Give me the power to forgive him, and God will help you. I believe he will help you. And Chantel thought deeply about Pascal's words. And when he left that day, she began to pray just as he said, God, I have no strength in me to forgive. God, I have no strength in me to forgive. What has been done to me is too much. I don't have the ability to forgive. But you, O oh Lord, have the power to forgive, so give me the power to forgive him. See, today, you may be walking with the weight of unforgiveness. You know what it is to have that bitterness within you. Maybe the people around you don't realize it yet, but there's a rage that's burning within you. There's, a, there's an anger that, that is in you, and, and justifiably so. You've been hurt. But forgiveness can't be done until you ask for God's presence. And today... I want us to ask for God's strength, the strength to forgive. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord Jesus, 
Lord, today I pray that I can forgive. Lord, that I can forgive those that have hurt me, those that have done harm to me, those that intentionally tried to ruin my life. Help me to forgive them. Lord, also I pray that you give us the strength to forgive those that are going to hurt us. Lord, that we continue this process of forgiveness. That even as people continue to hurt us, we will learn and get the strength to forgive them from you. In Jesus' name. The biggest part of forgiveness is understanding that you are forgiven. See, John struggled with even asking for forgiveness for years. Because he had done so much harm that he felt like there's no way he could even ask God for forgiveness. But once he understood that God forgave him and that God would remove this, take away his sin, then he was able to move forward in asking for forgiveness. Today, some of you hold on to that unforgiveness because you haven't really learned that God's already forgiven you. He's already died on the cross for your sins. He's already given up all the price that is necessary for your sins. Today, I want to pray this prayer as we close the service that God would allow us to accept his forgiveness. And that's really repentance. That we come to him and say, God, I need your power. I need your forgiveness. So again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud. You can pray it in your own ways, with your own words, or you can just repeat my words. Lord Jesus... I accept your forgiveness. Lord, I have failed. I have messed up. And I need your forgiveness. I accept the free gift today that you died for my sins and that your Holy Spirit can reside in me. In Jesus' name, amen.